Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, I hope you're taking care of yourself. The prayer list is long with people who have had a lot of illness or surgeries. I expected to walk in this morning and see Brother Allison out in his regular place in the, in the foyer, and he's not, so that's sad to me. We spoke briefly every Sunday that I was here, so remember the Allison family in your prayers. And uh, I'm grateful to be here this morning on a cool Texas, northeast Texas morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, for the next hour and a half to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. As I promised last week, I want to spend the next few times I'm with you today. I'll be here in two weeks, two weeks after that. I want to spend the next few weeks talking about ministry and talking about what it means to be a minister, specifically what it means to be a preacher, what preachers need from you, what you need from preachers, and uh, I want to spend some time reframing some things that uh, after 43 years of doing this, I think I've earned the right to say some things. Besides that, I'm getting in a car and going home, so uh, you can digest them with others. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning in verse 11. These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love and faith and purity. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you through the prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that you all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. I've asked Jared Baggett to join me. There's a microphone. You got the microphone? You can come on this side and keep the table between us. We good? We good? Can you hear me? How about now? All right, we're good. Is Keith in here? Keith Bowen? Where is he? Uh, Two weeks from now, you're going to get to do this with me, so I'm giving you a heads up because I know how you struggle to talk very much. He gave um, me five minutes. Told me while gave ago. him five minutes, but you know, you and I need a little more time. Jared is one of the persons that I've come to deeply appreciate since coming here. He's not only just your youth and family guy; he is a servant in every way possible and loves this church. I could, should get an amen on that. Amen. All right. If you didn't say amen, you need to find another place to go. Um, being facetious, that's humor. But I, I had a question for Jared this morning. What do you need in a preacher? I mean, you work here every day. You work with Kim and uh, Tanya and, and Keith when he shows up. Um, what do you need in a preacher, Jared? Well, let's say that uh, Kim and Tanya, we need to give them a shout out real quick because they keep us moving forward constantly. 
and these ladies have done anything possible to make this church move. Uh, you should see them in the office. They bring such joy to work. Uh, there, are, there are rooms that have all kinds of stuff of craftiness to get things done for this church, uh, activities, and, and they, just, they just make this place great. Uh, and so when I think of a minister coming in here, uh, I want somebody that comes in and takes care of them, uh, that comes in and is a major team player uh, to, to uh, not slow down their energy or their joy or their work. And so that's the first thing. And the second thing I think of, uh, I think of, I haven't been on an airplane often, but what sticks out to me when I've been on an airplane is, is the instructions of the oxygen mask if it comes down. Uh, if it comes down and you have a child, you're supposed to put the oxygen mask on yourself and then on your child, which uh, all you moms out there, that's not instinctively to you. You're going to put it on your child first and then you. Uh, but they tell you, get the oxygen in on you first and then your child. And I think of a minister coming in and making sure we get the oxygen in on ourselves first so that we can then go and put on oxygen on those outside, uh, as Patrick would say, outside these walls. So I'm looking for a minister that, that helps us breathe in some oxygen here, that nurtures here, right here under this roof, us, and helps challenge us, helps direct us, helps encourage us, because I know we all have, have stuff that we wrestle with. And so I'm looking for a man that, that comes in and helps us wrestle with it, and, uh, and grow in that. So that's this question. Jared, you, you don't know the questions I'm asking now. From, you knew the first one, but you right. don't know this one. Are they multiple choice? <laughs> no. True or false? <laughs> I'll shut up. What is a good preacher? I mean, not, not the minister part, the preaching part. What is a good preacher? I like to think if, if a preacher walks away from the time that he spent up here, whether it be 20 minutes or an hour and a half like you're doing today, uh, that there was one point that you got from it. I think Randy Harris had, a, had one of his students ask, how many points should I make uh, in a lesson? He said, well, at least one. Uh, and I think, I think of just one. I think a man who gets up here and makes one good point and you walk away and that point kind of sits on you for a little bit and helps change you, he's doing a great job preaching. Good, good. So what, uh, what makes for a, what does a church need to consider in regards to how it sees its preacher and uh, what can they do? What can a church, from your perspective as a full-time personal staff, what can a church do to protect that oxygen mask that he needs to help with the church? The other day when I was getting ready to preach, it was the Saturday night before, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, these people are going to listen to me as if I'm intelligent or if I have the answers. And that was kind of waiting. You know, it's kind of like heavy thinking that I'm going to speak, and for that 20 minutes, I'm supposed to be the smart guy in the room. Uh, and everybody's supposed to hear me. And I thought, man, for somebody to have to do that 52 times a year, it's pretty, pretty intense. 
And for us to expect a man to get up here and know all there is about everything 52 weeks out of the year is pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And so I think just grace, a church giving a preacher grace that he's not going to know everything. He's not going to know how to talk about everything or how to handle everything. But if a church gives him grace, I think that's, that's what I would want from a church. All right. you have anything else you want to say about preaching or, or ministry, about what you need in a preacher on staff, that kind of No, I think that's, that kind of covers it. I will like to be one of those crazy people that get on TV and do an interview and have to give a shout-out. You know those? Can I do one of those? Oh, my goodness, yes. It's my daughter's birthday. They're 21. Happy birthday! Well, thank you, Jared. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate his heart. I appreciate his, his, his family and the way he cares about his family, his children, his wife. It, it matters. It matters. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, who dares speak your word? It is so arrogant to think that me or others could just simply speak for you. This morning, Father, may this church hear one thing. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Here's the one thing I want you to hear today. I'm glad he said that. One, and it's only one. Take me a while to get there. I'll try to illustrate, try to come to the word with it. A preacher doesn't have a job. A preacher has a calling from God. That's what I want you to remember. A preacher doesn't have a job. You don't look at this like you do any other job. If I had tr treated it for 43 years as a job, I'd been out a long time ago. I would have quit a long time ago. I would have given up at the first round of criticism. I would have given up at the first round of judgmentalism. I would have given up with the person that, that first time somebody said, now I just don't agree with you with that, rah, 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 and throw all these gauntlets down, draw all these lines in the sand as a young preacher. I would have quit a long time ago, brothers and sisters. If it's just a job, if it's just a job to me, I would have quit a long time ago. What Timothy found himself in was a situation where some of the people who had grown up with the law all their life were teaching things and saying things. They had no idea what they were talking about. And, they, and the way I like to say it, they'd been sitting in church for a long time thinking they knew the answers. They didn't even know what they were talking about. It's right out of the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you're looking in the text, we started in chapter 4, but I want you to see this is not an 18-year-old young man. He's probably closer to 30 or 32 or 35. He's of military age. He, he is not someone that just graduated from high school. Let no man despise our youth. He, he's not some 18-year-old here. But in Ephesus, an urban culture, 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, when I was in Macedonia, I, I've urged you to remain in Ephesus so that you may, what does your Bible say? Teach, instruct certain people not to teach a different doctrine. Well, what doctrine is that? Well, he's going to unpack that context and not to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies and promote speculations rather than divine discipline or divine training that is known by faith. But the aim of such instruction that you're doing is supposed to come from love, from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. There's got to be a sensitivity to your life and to your faith, to your conscience. There's got to be a sensitivity there and sincere faith. Some people have deviated from these and turned to meaningless talk. Meaningless talk. Listen to the text. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make assertions. Now, we know the law is good if one uses it legitimately. This means understanding that the law is laid down not for the innocent, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the godless and the sinful, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their father or mother, for murderers, fornication, sodomites, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to, what does your Bible say? What does it say? Sound doctrine. Isn't that interesting? The word for sound is healthy. Just substitute the word healthy. The word for doctrine is the same word we have for teaching. So if you take away all the connotations you have of sound doctrine and you put the phrase healthy teaching, look at the context. Timothy, what I want you to deal with is I want you to deal with specific things that have to do with people being healthy and the way they live. Healthy teaching. Sound doctrine. Healthy teaching. It has to do with the way people are living their lives. And you have some people who are making all these assertions about the law, what the law means, and we need to do this and that. They don't even know what they're talking about. You've got a young man in a situation in Ephesus, and there's all kinds of this meaningless talk, and genealogies, and arguing about everything that has nothing to do with godliness. Nothing. That's the environment Timothy's in. Timothy, I know you want to get out of here. How do I know that he wants to get out of here? He says, remain on in Ephesus. If you go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he says, God did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and self-discipline. Rekindle the gift that's in you, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Preaching is not a job. I would have quit a long time ago. Well, we're just trying to, listen to our language. We need to hire a preacher. Listen to us. Listen to the language. We're going to hire a preacher. And he's going to answer to us, and he's going to answer to the elders, au contraire. 
A man called by God answers to God and teaches text and scripture as he has poured over it, prayed about it, cried about it, argued with it. It is an ongoing dynamic in somebody's life. It's not just a man who can give a good speech. It is a man filled with the spirit of God who spent time on his knees and wept over the people. That's what it's about. It's not about what you think he ought to teach. It's not about whether he answers to the elders, and I have no struggle with that. I'm going to teach any preacher worth his salt is going to say, here's what God says. Here's who God is. Here's what the gospel of Christ is. Whether you agree with it or not, his call is to answer to God from the scriptures that God has given him. That's why if he comes to a text and he doesn't know what to say about it, and he struggles with its meaning, to act like he knows when he doesn't know is a lack of integrity. I can't tell you the number of times I've committed to just working my way through text through the years. And I come to a text and I'm thinking, oh Lord, do I have to do this one? Can I just pick and choose what I want to say? Can I just do a topic here and be nice? Because I don't know what to say. And if the people really hear me say, I don't know what all this means, they're going to get disoriented. They're going to, if you don't know, who knows? And you've done all this study and we create all this anxiety. Preaching is a life of humility before the Holy Scripture of God. And I've argued with Scripture. I've argued with God. I've been Saturday nights when I had my outline together and everything's great. I'm looking over it and I'm thinking, I can't say that. I've had Sunday mornings that I've awakened at 3.30 and 4 in the morning and cannot go back to sleep and beg God for some peace. Because I'd put that lesson together and I'm thinking, no, something in me. And I read this text and it's got to be different. And I'd get up and I'd sit at the table with a cup of coffee, and I'd pray. Or some nights I would just go out in my study at my house, and I'd get out on my knees and say, God, I want to be faithful to you. I want to say this. But if I say this, I've got people in my church going to go, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. God, help me not to be so dominated by what somebody in that church will say and help me be so loyal to you, I'm going to say it anyway, regardless of what happens. Don't you want a preacher like that? But that takes a lot of courage. And it takes the power of God. That's why it is not a job. It is not a job. It is a life. It is a calling. And we get caught up on who's a good preacher and what's a good sermon and what we need here and there. One of my favorite heroes is a restoration preacher named Fred Craddock. Fred Craddock was maybe, what, John, five foot five? Little small man with a high voice. He didn't have a deep, rich voice like John Cannon and myself. He wasn't gifted with a great voice. He, he was an incredible man. Died a couple of years ago. He's got a doctorate degree in New Testament studies. One of my favorite story t preachers I've ever heard. I was at a seminar with him in uh, TCU, one at TCU one time. He was speaking about 200 preachers out there of all kinds of stripes and colors and, and backgrounds. And they did question and answer. And they asked Fred Craddock. They said, uh, Dr. Craddock... <clears throat> This is when he was like 75 years old, been preaching all these years, you know. Who do you think the best preacher in America is? You know how preachers, we get our egos out there and we want to know who's the best and who's the standard. And this is how he talks. John's going to smile when I do this. Well, 
It's just probably somebody that is in some little church someplace. He just opens his Bible, teaches the text in the spirit of prayer. Nobody really knows who he is. That's probably the best preacher week after week in the whole country. Next question. (laughs) What's he trying to say? Don't get caught up in yourself. Oh, I heard this guy. He's really a good preacher. Well, I heard this one. There's a difference in having good lessons and being a good preacher. I've done good lessons. And good lessons end up, man, I liked it. That was good. I, that was good. I liked the notes. I liked the teaching. I liked the PowerPoint slide. I liked all that stuff. I went through a season in my life when I preached. I wanted to go out the back door, get in the car, and talk to no one. Not because I was afraid of you. Because I didn't want it about, oh, that's a nice little sermon, young man. You'll, you'll, you'll be a good preacher someday. When I'd beg God for strength to know how to say something. And I'd worked hard on thinking about and communicating and what people needed to hear. And somebody says, that was such a sweet little sermon. I don't want a sweet little sermon. I want God's truth coming through in my life and in your life. Can I get an amen on that? Come on, church. So when Timothy goes into Ephesus, he wants to leave. He wants to get out of there. He's got older men in the church that have no clue what they're talking about and quoting all the law and all these passages, all these things. You've got to keep in mind, when he says that give yourself to the public reading of Scripture, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about the Old Testament only. Give yourself to the public reading of who God is in the Old Testament. When he talks about the public reading of Scripture, the whole Bible's not even out. Give yourself to public reading of Scripture. In other words, give yourself to the God that has character and life and holiness and righteousness. Give yourself to the reading of the Scripture that shows us a God who requires... A God who shows grace. Oh, you know, there's, God's a pretty tough God in the Old Testament. Boy, when he gets the new, he's full of grace. That's a false teaching. He put up with a lot in the Old Testament in order to make his promise come through. And if you can't preach from the Old Testament, you can't really come to grips with who the God of grace really is. And so when I talk about a calling... Do you really believe that, that that a man's called to be a preacher? What do you mean, some little voice, some little... Well, if you look at Scripture, Abraham received a call. It was specific for a purpose, was it not? Noah received a call specific for a purpose, was it not? Samuel received a call specific for a purpose. When God wants his will done all the way through Scripture, what he does is he calls people to cooperate with him. Now, you got Jonah. He called Jonah for a purpose, and Jonah went like I've done sometimes. Eh, don't want to do this. No, no thank you. No thank you. And he ended up doing it anyway because God had to nudge him in certain ways and do certain things. And the story of Jonah is when he finally did what God wanted him to do, he preached all these people came, we call it, come forward. He didn't like that result either. He didn't want that result. But Noah, Abraham, Samuel, 
Jonah, John the Baptist, Jesus calls his disciples. He calls his disciples. Saul became Paul. In Acts 13, set apart men. Set apart men. Calling is biblical. Well, that was back then. That's not, nobody really calls people today. Really. If God gives you a gift for something, you're called for it. A gift that's not used, it's like the parable of the talents. You know your scriptures. Paul heard the call of God in his life, church. Remember the first missionary journey set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now in scripture, there seems to be three ways that the word calling is used. First of all, calling is used in regard to salvation. In Thessalonians, we're called by the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're called by the gospel. Make your calling and election sure, Peter, or first Peter. Make your calling and election sure. The choice of God to you and you to God. Make your calling. It's used of salvation. The second way calling is used in Scripture has to do with lifestyle. To this you were called, Ephesians. To this you were called. You're called to a certain kind of life, a certain way of living. But there's a third calling in Scripture, and it has to do with commission. It has to do with what we would call ordination. It has to do with being set apart for a specific purpose. Why in the world have you been praying for a preacher? Because if you believe he's called by God to be here, that means you have to listen to him differently than just somebody else. That's a part of the church. You say, no, we're all equal. Nobody's better than anybody else. I understand that. But if a man is called by God to preach and, he's, and you've prayed about him, then I'd be very, very careful about how you treat him, how you listen to him, and how you engage him. You see, we will accept calling, well, we've set apart elders, and elders have to have certain characteristics. They're not perfect, but elders have to have certain characteristics. Don't we believe that about a preacher too? Paul told Timothy, give yourself the public reading of Scripture. Look at the text. 1 Timothy 4, it's right there. Look at the text. What's he trying to tell this young man, this young preacher, to make sure you focus on? Here we go. Timothy was struggling with his call. 1 Timothy 4, be an example, first thing, in speech. Be an example in conduct. Make sure you're an example in love. Make sure you're an example in faith. Make sure you're an example in purity. Now, I'm, I know we have clay feet as preachers. Five friends, or five people I know have given in to sexual sin and it have been terminated or resigned who were preachers in the last six to eight weeks. Ranging from age 75 all the way down to 32. I'm very, very aware of my own sin, my own tendencies, my own human nature, my flesh. And sometimes God, the blessing of preaching is sharing God's life and God's will. The curse of preaching is you've got to share it in the midst of your own brokenness. That's the curse. 
the blessing of preaching is communicating a good news gospel, a gospel of eternal salvation and life and godliness. The curse of preaching is I know what it's like to look in the mirror. I know what I'm feeling. I know how weak I feel at times. I know how incompetent I feel at times. I know how vulnerable I am standing before you. Somebody says, what's it like to preach? It's like not having any clothes on on Sunday morning and the only clothes you have is your words. It's like standing naked before people. I've had people tell me through the years, you know, that was a nice sermon, but what's really going on with you? That's what? You're not yourself, Grady. I've heard you for six weeks. Something's going on with you. You're, it's not what you're saying is wrong. It's not, what it's, it's not that it's not that helpful, but there's, some fi- there's not a fire in you. There's, some, there, there's a lot of pack. You used to look me in the eyes when I preach. You look right at the back of the auditorium now. What's going on with you? People read us like you cannot believe. You read our spirit. You read our tone. You read our words. You read everything about us. So when a minister gets up and says, I prayed about this, it's time for me to resign, somebody will say, you know, I knew that was coming. I could just tell. I could just tell. Or when the minister gets up and says, I have sinned. I have committed adultery. I'm resigning as your preacher. I'm confessing it and I beg your forgiveness. Somebody will say, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just, something was wrong in his life. I just knew. Some point changed in his preaching. Because there's a way of preaching without preaching. I promise you I'd be vulnerable and open. John can build on this if he chooses to or not. John and I have known a long time, each other a long time. And I use John a lot because he's known me since I was a teenager. And that's enough said right there. But I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm 62 years of age. I've earned the right to say some things. Preaching is not a job. It is a calling of God to a holy God, to a holy life. And I am one of the most blessed people in the world to get to do what I do. Whether you agree with me on any given day or not, that is not my identity. My identity is in Christ called to speak the very words, oracles, King James says, oracles of God. Who dares to speak the word of God? That is an audacious task. Hey, Dr. Craddock, who are the best preachers in America? Who's the best preacher in America? Well, probably somebody we don't even know that just kind of opens the Bible week after week in a church, teaches the word of God, and lives the life. Next question. There you have it. Two weeks from now I want to get in more specifics about how a church can support the preacher. And I'm not talking finances. And how the preacher 
should be accountable to you and you to them. From age 24 until 50, there was only three semesters in my life I did not take some kind of graduate class or graduate work. Mainly because I was a little slow and I needed it all that long. But the other thing is, I never took it very lightly. And when I did, I always paid a price for it. I remember years ago in a church, I was exhausted. I had two small children. My wife and I were not jihong, as they say. Lots going on in our life. It's hard to preach on a Sunday morning when you've had a major argument with your wife at seven. On Sunday night, I got up and I just said, I'm not in a good place, church. I'm just being honest with you. But God's always in a good place. And here's the word of God tonight. We're going to read the book of James. Five people came forward for prayer and I didn't offer any commentary. I walked outside and I overheard a member say, you know what? I don't come to church for an unprepared preacher. It crushed a young minister that I was honest and vulnerable with the church defaulted to what all I knew to say was read God's word people responded and somebody I overheard it in the foyer got in the car went home on a Sunday night Karen said what's wrong and I said did you this is what was said she looked at me and she said take a nap you're going to do this again tomorrow. I cannot tell you, church, the Sundays that I walked out of a pulpit, got in a car and thought, I quit. I quit. I don't think I'm making any difference in our people. I don't think I'm making much difference in myself. I don't think we're reaching that many, any more people than when I came here five years ago. I quit. And there's this little voice in my head that said, I can't. Because whatever you know of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know enough not to quit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you continue to pray, not for a man that you can hire, but for a man who will proclaim God's truth and God's way for this church at this time and being his people. And the church said, if you need to pray today, if you need help today, if you need to repent for some of the attitudes that you've had about hiring a preacher rather than 
listening for the call of God. May God lead you where you need to be as we stand.